I want to share some testimonies real quick, and then we'll just jump into what we're going to do today. So now I, I apologize because I'm going to share all our testimonies that's been going on this week. Is that okay with you? How many have, a, have had some testimonies, some things happen, good things in the last couple of weeks? Good. Come see me after and tell me. I want to hear about it. We want to keep a record of it. I have uh, weeks and weeks of testimonies here that we keep track of. Um, meet us at the table right after service, right there. We will type these in, not just so we can say, oh, look how awesome we are or whatever, but so we can remember what God's doing, right? <clears throat> Again, the sin of rebellion that Israel went into was not that they just one day decided that they were going to rebel and worship other gods. The sin that they had in their heart was they did not remember the things God had done. That was the entrance to rebellion. They forgot the things that the Lord had done. And so we don't want to forget, right? So I'm going to share some personal testimonies from what God's doing. Is that all right? And I want you to celebrate because there are a lot of good things going on, right? All right, here we go. First thing, uh, so last year, about a year ago or so, Mandy received a job at our kids' elementary school. We were thankful for it. She was ready to go back to work, and we're just glad. It was a great opportunity. To be honest with you, it fell in our lap, right, babe? Like the Lord just did it, gave us favor, and she got the job. She enjoys it. Well, she's now given the opportunity <clears throat> to take um, a year of training, and at the end of that training, her uh, salary can double, and then after that, it can double again to a maximum of 200% increase of her salary right now, which is awesome. So really cool. Good job, babe. She's a good worker, and everyone at the school loves her. It's the truth. They love her, love her, right? Um, so much so, and here's my testimony, that one of the teachers approached me, and they want me to be the president of the PTA, which is ridiculous, because when I think of it, I think of my mom when I was a kid, the PTA president. So I'm going to put my mom jeans on and be the PTA, possibly be the, <clears throat> now here's the point to that. Um, when the teachers came, when she began to discuss this with me, she, she said, we feel like you can diplomatically lead families. And all I could think of, I get a chance to change culture. I'm not even thinking, I mean, yes, I love the PTA and I want to be a part of it, but how many families am I going to get to, Amanda going to get to be involved with as PTA president. So I'm very much considering doing it depending on time constraints. And I told, I told Mandy, and uh, I think Kyle's the only other person I talked to about it, um, is that I feel like I would be disobedient to God and a hypocrite to stand up here and say we want to infect culture and bring transformation to culture. And God opened the door like this into the public schools and me turn my nose up at it because it's the PTA. I think, it would be, I think it would be hypocritical. So that's, that's a testimony. Um, another one is Mandy uh, has been given opportunity for some overtime work in the summer. Um, really simple hours, but it's just extra cash flow, which is great. We love that. We, we want to take a vacation or something, so we'll be able to do that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Another one. Yeah, I got three or four more of these, all right, just from this last week. It's been a really good week, man. I ain't going to lie. <clears throat> so we've, uh, Mandy and I went through a real, the last seven years, seven years ago, we went through f a financial change. We knew that, <clears throat> excuse me, 
is we knew that we were going to come pastor here, and basically the, the, the church was in a state where um, if they didn't have a new pastor come in, they were going to close the, close the church. So we said yes to this. With that yes, we said we need to be all in. So Mandy was working at the, at the time, and we felt like it was best for her to quit her job and for both of us to come here and keep this church going and work. So we took a, a half. We took a half cut of our salary income in the family, which how many, how many of you knows what that would do to, to your home right now? You just cut your income in half. Your, your cars, your house, you, you can't afford to live what you're living at right now. <coughs> And we did this on purpose. We went to see a Dave Ramsey financial advisor and said, hey, this is what we're about to do. And she's like, oh, no, don't do this, basically. And we're like, no, we have to. She was like, well, if you're going to do this, then these are the things that are going to happen. We, we had a house in, in Irving that we owned at the time, and we were trying to sell it. We tried to sell that thing for two years. It wouldn't sell. So we took it off the market. We put it back on the market again. And every time it would go to sell, it wouldn't sell. I'm just opening up and telling you where we've been, right? wouldn't sell. We tried everything there was. We even tried to short sell. We tried everything we could to get out of it because we knew we couldn't afford to live there and we wanted to move here to Arlington. So long story short, they ended up foreclosing on our home. Oh no. Oh gosh. Yes. Not only that, as we took the keys to our expedition and we said, here, come get our car. We're not going to pay for this anymore. We can't afford it. You're like, oh, that sounds, that sounds like a sin. That's what my dad said. It sounded like a sin, right? We didn't not pay for the car. We settled and we paid for it. We didn't just turn it in and say, oh, just forget it. We paid the car off with the settlement. We did the same thing for our house. We didn't just let it foreclose. We did it honorably according to Dave Ramsey principles. Is that all right for me to be like this open with you? <laughs> this is not stuff we wanted to do. I felt like a loser. I felt like um, a failure. I felt like, uh, are we really supposed to go do this? Are we really supposed to go pastor and, and have all this stuff happen? So how many knows what those things will do to your credit score and your future plans? It's just gone. I don't know if anyone here has been through any of those things. It's a big deal, and, and it, it haunts you for a long time. So we stuck to the plan. It's a, a long plan. Um, it's been seven years, right? Um, and, and everything she told us to do, we've done it. We paid off. We didn't have a lot of debt either at the time, which was, you know, we didn't have credit card debts and big things. So we started paying stuff off, and we're almost completely done with that, praise the Lord, which we, we've told you a little bit about that. But we've been in the process now of rebuilding our credit through, the, through time. We've done some things strategically to rebuild our credit scores and all that stuff. And so in the last year, my credit score has gone up 70 points. Mandy's credit score has gone up 113 points just in the last year to, to where we're back to where we should be, you know, to where we're uh, now we want to buy our house again and we want to step into the future again and plant some roots. Is it, you guys okay? Like, man, this is some horrible news. No, this is a testimony because we felt like we were in the tunnel and that the light that was in the tunnel was a train and it was not an exit of the tunnel. And I just want you to know that if you'll stick to your plan, if you'll be faithful, we, one of the things they said was, well, you can't tithe or, you, you know, above this percentage. You can't give this much to the church. Uh, and I love that Dave Ramsey counselors say, no, you can't afford not to tithe. So we, we always paid our tithe. We gave to other things. We outside of our tithe, above our tithe. Well, we were faithful to those things. And so we just see an end uh, uh, to the tunnel 
Mandy's working again. She's got these promotions that are coming up. And so just God's been faithful. So is it okay for, for, for that's just a good testimony. I'm happy for that one. <clears throat> All right, two more and we'll move on. Um, th- these have happened. So um, let me just read how I wrote it. So I've been given the opportunity to, to be an editor, um, to review and to contribute to a, a district-wide resource for youth groups. Um, so basically, um, there are 550 churches in our district that we belong to. And um, most every one of them has a youth ministry. And they, want, uh, they wanted us to, to they started a, pro, uh, a program where they wanted to put an encounter in a, in a box. So basically, you can take this, this resource, give it to any youth pastor, and they can create an encounter retreat, all right, which is a wonderful idea. A lot of youth pastors, they're, you know, a lot of smaller churches, they don't have the, the budget or finances to do these things. So we put this together for them, and it helps them to create a retreat for the sole purpose of seeing kids have an encounter with Holy Spirit. Now, that's amazing. Well, I was asked to be... Um, not only to contribute, but to review the lessons and, and how the Holy Spirit is taught. Um, and so that's, that's one of the testimonies, that the Lord has opened this door. So dozens of churches, I don't know how many will do this, um, will have the opportunity to hear who Holy Spirit is. And so one of the, the main things that we taught is that Holy Spirit is in us for us, but He's on us for other people. What had happened is in a lot of the, the lessons and the training that was coming through was a lot of the he's on us for other people and we miss the he's in us for us part. So as I was reading through this, I got to, I got to bring back the focus to, you know, the reason we're in relationship with Holy Spirit is not to become weaponized. We're in a relationship with Holy Spirit because God wants to call a son and daughter. And if we can get that right, then the rest of the stuff that comes with Holy Spirit has value and meaning. And so I got to be a part of that. Next one, one more thing. Um, and now, uh, Tuesday, I meet uh, with, with, uh, with some, some leaders also in the district, and we're putting together, um, let's see, how did, how do, how's it worded? These are, um, it facilitates and stirs up discussions for every kid that goes to youth camp, and it's all about how to be alive in Christ. So I, I'm not only getting to contribute to this, I'm co-writing this, this curriculum, these this icebreaker type discussions with Bible lessons that, that every kid that goes to camp, uh, three to 5,000 kids that will go to youth camp will get to hear what it means to be alive in Christ. I get to be a part of this. And so I just want you to know that there's cool stuff going on, and I'm not just here to, to point at us and look at me, but I want to tell what God is doing. He's, he's giving us opportunities to change culture. I, I feel like some of the opportunities that God's opening up is because I said yes to coach a stupid YMCA soccer and then now Arlington soccer. I, because I said yes to it. I feel like God's like, hey, you were faithful for something small, insignificant as soccer. I'll, I'll give you some other things. And so I, I wanted to bring these up today because I wanted to ask you what opportunities are there. Breakthrough and the testimony of the Lord often looks like an opportunity. Almost every one of these had the word opportunity on there. Mandy has been given the opportunity for training. Mandy's been given the opportunity for extra work. I have been given the opportunity to join the PTA. I have been given the opportunity to collaborate on events for young people to encounter Holy Spirit and to find life in Christ. So what's the key to transformation? It's you and I seeing opportunity and taking hold of it. 
and not missing those opportunities. Is that okay? So I wanted to pray over you that you would see the opportunities that the Lord has placed in front of you right now. They may have asked you to do something at work that sounds like you don't want to do it, but it, but it has a level of influence in the culture. You need to do it. And so can I pray over you? Father, we thank you because you are so good and you're so faithful and you know how to line our steps and order them for us. And so, Father, we know that you have put your treasure in us as, as broken jars of clay. And we carry around in us the treasure of the presence in the kingdom of God. And so, Father, I ask that everyone in this room would become more aware of what they carry inside of them, more aware of the solutions that they carry to issues and problems, Lord, for the life that they live. God, I ask that you would help us to have new eyes, to see new opportunities, and new boldness to take these risks, God. I ask that as we see and as we say yes, that we will see testimony after testimony after testimony of transformation personally and in the community, God. We love you. We love you for what you do in us, and we love you that we get to partner with your kingdom. And so, Father, I declare over everyone in this room what was declared over Esther. Who knows? Maybe you were brought to this opportunity for such a time as this. (laughs) Amen. So, here's the message. Go for it. Just go for it. Go for it. All right, you guys ready? Those are testimonies. I had one more thing I wanted to hit before we we tie up last week, all right? I I felt like um, the Lord wanted me to pray for anyone here that struggles with with the, the tactic of the enemy called comparison. Comparison. This may be all we do today. I don't know. This is this is really an important topic. Comparison. This discussion came up this week with one of my sons in the car and one of our other soccer players. He's one of the soccer players is really short, really. I mean, like he's little. Like you're like seven? No, I'm ten years old. Are you sure? You know, what are your parents feeding you? He's that kind of little bitty, little bitty kid. All the kids. I'm just short. I'm too short. I'm shorter than everyone else. All right, and my son, I'm too skinny, I'm too weak, I'm too this. I'm like, who's telling you this stuff, guys? You're perfectly fine just the way you are, right? So we get into this discussion. And so I felt like it was important for a reason. If we compare ourselves to other people, it will birth two sins in our heart. Comparison will birth two sins. Sin number one is if I am better than you and I compare you to me, I stir up the sin of pride in my own heart because I'm better than you and I'm take, take the soccer. They're stronger, they're faster, they're taller. You know what? If you're stronger, faster, and taller than someone and they're little, you can look down on them in pride. Put, fill in the blank for any life situation. I make more money than you. I have a nicer house than you. I drive a nicer car. I, I smell better than you. I look better than you. My family's healthier than your family. All of a sudden, what happens is it's, just, it's a little trick. Comparison. Don't compare yourself to anyone else. Compare yourself to who the Lord says you are. That's it. So the first sin that's stirred that start up by this trick called comparison is pride. The second one is, what if someone has a better house than you? A better car than you? 
a, a better family, a more handsome husband? What happens if these things are stirred up and we begin to compare our life with other people that are better than us? What sin is stirred up in our heart? Jealousy. Comparison will always, it will, in, it will give an invitation to pride and jealousy in our lives. And they will destroy us. Paul told them, he says, don't think more highly of yourself than you're supposed to. And I, I love this. I've, I've heard it, you know, eight or ten years ago. He didn't say not to think highly of yourself. He just said, don't think more highly of yourself than you're supposed to. But we do not get our value by comparing ourselves to other people. This isn't a competition. I don't win more points because I'm better than you, or you don't win more points because you're better than me. We win by being obedient to God. It doesn't matter what anyone else does. Growing up in church my whole life, seeing my father take, take churches and build them into, into strong churches, healthy churches. Getting around other pastors who are building new buildings and properties because they're busting at their seams. Let me just talk about me today, right? Let's just... If I begin to compare myself, I will either become proud or jealous. My job is not to compare the work that God's doing at the bridge with any other church. My job is to say, God, am I being obedient to what you told the bridge to do? Am I doing this? Your job and your family is not to say, oh, all of my kids are in ministry, or all of my kids do this or that, and their, their kids don't, or vice versa. That's not your job. Your job is to say, are we as a family being obedient to who God called us to be? If so, then we get to stand before Him one day and hear Him say, well done. He's not going to put us in order in line and say they, well, they did better than everyone else, so they go to the front, and it moves us around according to um, comparison. It's not a competition. Everyone say that. It's not a competition. And that's a hard one for me, too, because I absolutely love competition. I could turn, when I was growing up, it's kind of, as you get older, I don't know if the testosterone goes down, I got the low T thing going on or what, but c competition kind of becomes less and less, like... I just don't need the drama of the competition right now. But then every now and then you put me in a situation and man, that, that competitive line is still inside of me. I want to beat that soccer coach across there who's not really a very nice guy. I want to beat him even though I'm not even on the field playing, right? Competition is not a good thing. It has no place, it has no value in the kingdom because it's not a competition. We are in a race where we win because everyone else around us wins. We rejoice with those that rejoice. We mourn with those that mourn. We, we, we celebrate the victories that other people have, even if we're in our darkest hour. And then when we're in our greatest hour, the, they may be in their darkest hour, and they celebrate our victories, and together we all win. You can go read about this thought process all through Hebrews, where it says, what should we say of Samson and Balak and these great mighty men and women of God who conquered kingdoms, administered justice, who tamed lions, right? These people were amazing. And it gets to the very end of the chapter and it says, but even they have not fully received their reward because only through us completing the process will they get their reward. They passed the baton through generation to generation. It's not a competition. We're all in the same race. We're running together. There's an old African proverb that says, if you want to go far, run with other people. 
If you want to go fast, go by yourself. <laughs> We're not in this to go really fast. We're in this to transform culture. And the only way to do that is to hook arms and not compare ourselves to other people. Why is this important? Last week we talked about the trick that happens. And it's, a, oh, you foolish Galatians. As a matter of fact, why don't you open to Galatians? We'll read that real quick just to tie this all up and make it seem official and, and like a real sermon instead of just the ramblings of a, a lunatic or whatever. <laughs> Galatians 3, verse 1. says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before you, Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, that you're now trying to be perfected in the flesh? <clears throat> verse 5 says, So then... Does he who provides you with the Spirit and work miracles among you, does he do that by the law or by hearing by faith? All right, skip to chapter 4. Galatians 4, verse 1. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he doesn't differ from the servant, even though he owns everything. But he is under the guardians and managers until the date established by his father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elementary things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, who was born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those of us who were also born under the law, that we might receive adoption, thank you, as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent His Spirit to live inside of you, and He cries out, Someone else? Anyone else? <laughs> Daddy, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a servant, but you're a son or a daughter. And if you're a son or a daughter, now you have become an heir to the kingdom. All right? One more. Galatians 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing and do not become subject to slavery again. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you... Here's, here's the point. If you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Stay with me, all right? And, if I, te and I testify again that every man who receives circumcision, that he is under obligation to the entire law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything. Only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. Verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you to obey the truth, from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. He says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. And I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will adopt no other view but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. It says, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, then why am I persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would just go ahead and completely cut themselves off, is what he says. <laughs> we're going somewhere, all right, I promise. Somewhere good, I hope. For you are called to freedom, 
But don't use your freedom as an opportunity to serve the flesh, but serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in this statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, be careful or you will be consumed by one another. Got just a little bit more, a couple more. Verse 16, I say to you, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets itself against the spirit and the spirit sets itself against the flesh. Do you know why sometimes we feel turmoil? Because the spirit and the flesh are at war with each other. When we walk after the spirit, the, the inner turmoil goes away. Now, I, I want to say this. When we walk after the spirit, the turmoil shifts from I am having confrontation inside of me to I am now externally confronting darkness. When I walk in the flesh, instead of having external confrontation, it goes internally and I have a war with inside of me. Does that make sense? <clears throat> They're at odds with one another, they're in opposition, so that you will not do the things that please that, that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Everyone say amen to that, right? These things absolutely hate each other. So what does this have to do with anything? The, the people in the church of Galatians were completely set free, gloriously set free, believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, accepted the freedom that came through grace. They were doing really well, and then something snuck in on them. What was that? It was comparison. What bewitched them? It was this little sneaky sin of comparison. New believers were grafted in with believers that had been circumcised, and they began to compare themselves and say, well, we've been circumcised, and you haven't been. So we are actually better believers than you are because we've gone through circumcision. And the ones that weren't circumcised begin to feel inferior that we weren't as good of believers as these guys are. Am I making any sense, right? And so they begin to say, everyone, you need to be circumcised. Because of this comparison thing, we have to make a new law. We have to go back in. I know we just got rid of the law. But that was, that was just an old law. We, we just need a new, better law. Anyone ever heard something like that before? We just need a new, better law. No, we need freedom. So this comparison thing creeps into the church, and they begin to say, well, they do this and we don't. And, they, and the, the ones that had been circumcised begin to elevate themselves in their status of the church as if they were the gatekeepers of, of grace. So they begin to say, everyone, you need to be circumcised. And Paul hears about it, and he writes this and says, Who bewitched you? How do you go from grace and, and the, the, the law of the Spirit? Now you're back into the law again. What happened to you? Well, we started comparing ourselves, and they've been circumcised, and we haven't. Who, I wish those that mentioned that would just totally cut themselves off. Do you know that Paul was circumcised? He even bragged on it. And I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was the, the, the greatest of Jews, and he bragged about it, right? So why did Paul defend people that didn't want to be circumcised? Because it was being legislated from people that were comparing themselves in a place of superiority over other believers. And he's preaching this message. There's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no slave, there's no free, there's no male, no female, there's no circumcised, no uncircumcised in the kingdom. We're all brothers and sisters. But these gatekeepers came in and says, no, you can't be as good as we are unless you do these things. 
So Paul, even though he was circumcised, said, you don't have to be circumcised. Now, what would have happened if all these new believers that were pagans, that were uncircumcised, came into the kingdom and began to to have these encounters with God and out of their encounter with God, they decided, you know what? We want to circumcise ourselves because we want to do it out of honor to God. That would have been a completely different story with Paul. Paul would have probably written a different chapter that would have said, I am so proud of your faith and your response to God to move into circumcision. You, you definitely heard the voice of the Lord on this and I want to applaud you on being good believers But instead, because it was being legislated through the law of comparison, it was something that he says, no, circumcision or uncircumcision, it doesn't matter to God. All that matters is that you respond to the voice of the Lord. Why does this matter for us? Obviously, we haven't had any councils and discussions recently on circumcision and uncircumcision at the church. We've moved on to completely different issues, right? Nowadays, this is what you hear. Oh, You have to speak in tongues, you don't speak in tongues. Oh, you can't drink, oh, you can drink. Oh, you can't smoke, oh, you can smoke. And you can smoke this kind of dope and this kind, you know, whatever. All these these new things have come in. Well, we don't do this. We don't think you should be tattooed. Well, we think you should be tattooed because we're already tattooed. What are we going to do, right? And we've got all these little things that come in. Well, you need to prophesy. And if you don't know how to prophesy, then you're not as pure and as holy as, as I am because I can prophesy. Oh, you need, to, you need to evangelize. You need to tell everyone you know about Jesus. And you're the most shy person in the world. And that scares the, everything out of you, right? It's the law of comparison. We begin to say, you know what? I really want to do what they do. Or I'm, I'm better than them because I do this. Or, man, I'm not as good as them because I don't do this. And what Paul is saying is none of that has any value unless it's in response to the voice of the Lord. Prophecy, he says prophecies will cease. I love prophecy. I do. I like to give prophetic words to people. I like to do it in the marketplace where they don't have any idea what, what it is I'm doing, but I'm just talking to them. No Christian language. I love to just, hey man, you're a really good dad. You know that? And this knowing what I feel from him, he feels like he's the worst dad ever. And I just begin to prophesy. And then I pull his son over and say, hey, you know what? Your dad's a good man. He works really hard. Doing little things like that. They don't even know that I'm prophesying over them. I'm pulling gold. You do the same thing. Every one of you, you find people and you just pull something out. You, you know what? You have a great personality. Or getting deep and giving them a prophetic word. You're about to go to school and this is about to happen for you and blah, blah, you know, whatever. But you know what? That doesn't make us better than the other believers that don't do that. Paul says, prophecies will cease. They'll stop. Tongues will end. The word of the Lord will stand forever. So do we pursue spiritual gifts? Yes. And here's where you pursue them. God, what gift have you given me? What do I do that's special? What do I have? What do I carry that you planted inside of me that I need to become become more effective in? Not, oh, I like that, and I like that. Oh, they have really cool gifts. No. What did you give me, God? What gift did you give me? Is this making sense? 
I know from experience, and, and now because we're uh, kind of removed from some of the things that, that we've experienced over the last couple of years, that there's this jealousy that stirs up when there's really gifted people in a church. There's jealousy and there's insecurity when we're around people that are just powerful. Powerful. I mean, what happens when you're sitting next to a person who gives 100 prophetic words a day and they're amazingly accurate at it and you just gave one in the last year and you're really proud of that one. <laughs> but you're really proud. Like, man, I did good. And they, they're like, oh, man, I did 100 today. You know? And they don't even have to say anything. You're just sitting next to them and you feel it. Why do you feel that? Why do you feel that their 100 times of being obedient that day is any more significant than your one time being obedient through an entire year? Who placed greater value on the one day versus what you did? God didn't do that. Jesus Christ did not come down and, and pat them on the back and say, hey, you're a little bit better than they are, or say, you're a little bit worse than they are. Why do we compare ourselves to other people? There's only one person to compare ourselves to. Who is that? Jesus Christ. Now that can get a little bit tense too. <laughs> Just a little bit. I mean, this guy is perfect. It's not in I have to be like him in every way. I have to pursue him. I have to go after him. I have to be connected to him. It's not, oh, he did this many miracles, I have to do this many miracles. It is, he is the goal. My goal is to move toward him. Paul even said, I haven't even stepped into this yet, but I know one thing I do is I press toward the mark. I compare myself to Christ. He is, what, he is the standard. So yeah, I want to pursue and become like him. The moment any of us, some of us, our wives are better at hearing God's voice than we are. Did you know that doesn't make you less of a priest as a man of the home? Because your wife can hear the Lord better than you? Don't compare yourself to your wife. Wives, don't compare yourself to your husbands. Some, some of the men are just really good at just teaching the Word, and God gives them revelation. And you're, you're at home praying throughout the day, crying out to God, and your husband's out at work, and he comes home, and bam, one sentence out of his mouth, and it's revelation. And you're like, man, I had to do all this, and he just walks in the door, stinking and smelling, and he's got this revelation. Don't do that. Don't compare yourself. You're a team. We're on this together. You guys understand getting this? We could, we could dive deep into it, but I think we'll just do this. Every part of the body is vital to the body. Everything in this room, everything that you do, what you bring to the table is vitally important to the health of the whole body. Amen? I think that's why I fell in love with soccer. Because sometimes it takes 90 minutes to score a goal. And that's why most people hate soccer. But you know what? After watching it and coaching it and really studying it, I've fallen in love with it because there are 11 people on a field. And sometimes it takes those 11 people, 90 minutes of teamwork, to finally score a goal. Two weeks ago, we are playing a really good team and they were ahead of us 1-0 to zero the whole game. 
Josiah's just getting beat up. Marco's getting beat up. Juan's getting beat up. The whole game, and we just can't, we hadn't even had a shot on goal the whole game. But they didn't quit. Guess when we scored? In the last 30 seconds of the game. Last 30 seconds, we tie it up. And you should have seen our team. They are running to each other. They jump in each other's arms. They didn't care who kicked the ball in the goal. All those kids worked together for 60 minutes or however long the game was, 40, 45 to 50 minutes. And they worked hard for that goal. And they all celebrated as if they scored the goal. And you know why? Because that's the way we teach our team. When we score a goal, it's because you won the ball on the defensive end. And you got it where it was supposed to. And you did this. And we tell them. And so they celebrate. I was jumping up and down. I was going crazy for a 10-youth soccer game, right? Because we scored finally. One shot on goal, and we tied the game. And they had like eight shots on goal. That's the way it is in the kingdom sometimes. We're all in this struggle. We're all in this race running together. And we may not score the goal. Someone else may have scored the goal. We all celebrate it together. Next time, maybe you're the one that scores the goal. Or maybe you're the goalkeeper, and every game you stop goal after goal after goal. And no one celebrates the goalkeeper. They just yell at them when they let a ball go in, right? We have a goalie on our team that is amazing. And every game, he saves the game. He is so good. He is so good. I told his dad, I said, one, he could really make money doing this. And every game, he may not score goals. So we rewarded him last game and brought him out, put him at striker. And guess what? He scored two goals quickly. He's really good. And everyone's celebrating they score two goals. But we celebrate. He made unbelievable save. That's just as good as a goal, right? It's like robbing a home run in baseball. I, always, I played center field. And so when I got to do that, I thought that was more fun than hitting a home run. It was just like, yeah, I took that away from you. Yeah, that's right. Point back at him. No. Long story short, we're done. <laughs> we all win when we do our part. We all win when we do our part. If we get out of shape, if we get out of position, then it opens us up as the body. It just does. So what's the message today? Don't buy into the law of comparison. Don't buy into the law of comparison. Do not fall into the trap of comparing yourself to anyone. Only compare yourself to who God says that you are. Is that good? It's good for us. Amen. So, Father, we, we thank you for, for your patience with us. <laughs> and I thank you how, Holy Spirit, you're the great architect, and, and you put all things in their place. You are wonderful at that. Why don't you just brag on the Holy Spirit about that? Why don't you just tell me he's the best creator and the most organized architect? You are, Holy Spirit. Your creativity overwhelms us. The way you move things and structure things and put them into place, the way you come down and just rest over a situation and cause the chaos to turn into order, God, we're amazed by that. So, Holy Spirit, we surrender ourselves to you as members of the body of Christ. Whatever our role is, we submit that role to you and we ask that, that as we place ourselves in your hands, that you would fitly join this body together to be healthy and whole. If you've um, struggled with the comparison, let's take a moment and repent. Let's take a moment and just tell God we're sorry for buying into this lie. So, so Lord, I come to you and I ask you to forgive me for, for, for allowing myself to compare both sides of this. I do both sides, God, and I ask that you would forgive me. Forgive me for pride. Forgive me for jealousy.
Father, I ask that you would teach us Paul's secret. That he says, I have learned the secret to being content in every situation. I ask that we would become content people. Not satisfied people. Well, we always want more. But we want to be content, God, in whatever season and whatever place you've placed us in. Last thing, and we're going to open the altars. The really awesome thing about God is He always rewards stewardship. So you may think, I only have this one thing that I'm effective in. If you will do that one thing, the Lord will give you more. If you will be effective and steward that thing really well, God will give you more talents. It is a, it's the parable of the talents. If He gave you two, you can convert that into four. If He gave you five, you can turn it into ten. The way you do that is you do well what He told you to do. Don't look to the right, to the left. Just do what He told you. Just set your eyes intently upon Him and just say, Yes, sir. And you cannot fail. <laughs> Amen. If you want to stand, this is how we'll close service out. I told you the last week that the altar is the most important time of service, and I mean it. This is where we pursue encounters with God. <clears throat> this is where we pursue um, the presence. And so I just want to say we're going to open the altar. I want you to take your time. Come to the front. Just spend a moment with the Lord. And here's how I want to word it again. Just ask Him before, before we go. Is there anything else, Lord? that you have on the agenda for me today? Is there anything else that you want to talk to me about? Is there anything else that you want to do inside of me before we leave? Now, I want to say this. If you're sick, if you're in pain, if you need a miracle, if, if you need breakthrough in family, please come up to the front. We want to pray with you. We believe God will answer us. We believe He's faithful. Amen? So I want to open the altars for pursuit of the presence of God and encounters with Him. And anyone that needs prayer, someone will meet you here. So we just bless you. Thank you for being here and we, we open all.